0: Good morning, Exchange Church. How are we doing today? Great. It's uh, good to see you. We are currently in a series called Uncomfortable. This is part four of a very uncomfortable series. As you can see, we have concrete couches on platform, which typically are considered uncomfortable. However, we've already had email requests asking for the couch when we're done with it. So I'm not sure what's that all about. Um, But I'm glad that you're here today. I see a lot of new faces in the crowd, and welcome. The Exchange Church is a place where purpose is awakened and developed. You've come to the right place this morning. And by the way, it's not an accident that you're here. God knows exactly what you need. God knows uh, your family situation, your financial situation, your, your hopes and your dreams, your faults and your failures. And I just want to encourage you because this, this place, the Exchange Church, is such a healthy Fun, life-giving community. In fact, today I'm talking about community, and I want you uh, to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. I want to read my text before I break it down to you today. It comes from the book of James. I love the book of James. It's probably one of my favorite. In fact, the book of James is the book of the Bible. That when I was in high school, I would skip school and go to Pflugerville Park to read Scripture. It was the book of James because it's very clear. Um, James doesn't, you know, he's not foo-foo, frilly. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't waste time telling you what he wants to say. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, So James kind of gets in your face a little bit, and I I love it. I want to take you to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I want to read that one more time. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, because you're so quiet, I need your help reading this verse one more time. I want you to read it with me out loud. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, There you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Then we jump to the next chapter, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you for your word. Your word that is without error. Your word that is not lacking in power. Your word that has the capacity to transform the hearts of men and women and families and emotions and, and histories and projections. God, I thank you, God, for your word, your word that dwells among us. Holy Spirit, come. We just offer our hearts to you, God, that you know the the state and condition of every single person here today. Those that are here in celebration of a week that has gone well, and those here, God, holding on to the last string of hope. God, you know on the spectrum where we stand, and God, you can do it all. So God, we give you permission to come and do whatever it is that you want to do inside of us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen, amen. Now, before you sit down, especially since we're talking about community, Let's not make it awkward and uncomfortable. Let's take a few seconds, at least 60 to 120, meet somebody new. I know we did this earlier, but let's do it again. Meet somebody new, tons of new guests here today. And then you may be seated. It is, it is just so exciting to me to see uh, your smiling faces. I'm glad that you're with us today. I, I just want you to understand that you being here makes our community stronger. And so it's exciting on today to be able to address community and talk about it with you here because you are the most important player, Allie. You know that? You are the most, the, the key, the critical piece to community at the Exchange Church. That's right. You are. And so I'm glad that you're here. At least one person believes that they are. And... <laughs> We should all believe that because you play an important role. And I'm just, I'm proud to talk about the exchange church and the community that we hold here. I believe that it's healthy, that it's honest. It's, it's, it's a place that you and I can thrive and flourish as individuals. And that's important for a couple of reasons, quite honestly, because society would have us believe that we are like, Say self-made men, self-made women. Do you remember back in the day, and and probably today as well, we like to brag on the fact that we got here on our own. No one helped us get here. We pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're a self-made millionaire. For those that that applies to, great. You're a self-made hundredaire, hundredaire, great. You're a self-made dozenaire, whatever it is. We just like to think that it's all because of our efforts. But the reality is no one, not even you, and I know that you are the smartest person in the room, not even you got here on your own. Even if you think that you had all of the ideas and the suggestions and the hard work and the integrity and the faithfulness and the commitment and the list goes, you know, on and on and on, who gave you that air that you've been breathing the last 20 years? Who's grown that that grass that fed the cows that put food on your table? Now, for vegetarians, who grew the grass? (laughs) Right? We did not get here on our own. The reality is God extended to you and to me an opportunity to partner with what he wants to do on the earth. But culture would tell us that it's all about it's all about us. But social scientists now are actually saying something different. They're telling us something different. They're saying that we are in fact products of our families, our culture, our community. We are. So it really does matter what you consider to be your circle. It really does matter what you consider to be the community that you hang with, the, the people that you share your heart with, the, the, the vulnerability and the seeds that are exchanged between one person to another. It matters because we're finding out that you are becoming who you look up to. They're, they're telling us that if you look up to someone and you think that you like them and they like you, that you will start to become just like them. How many of you have been married for years and somebody says, you're starting to look like your spouse Anybody? I, if I start to look like Carrie, that would be a great thing. I, I will use any help that I can take. The problem is, my wife told me a couple years ago that I started to look like a schnauzer. <laughs> anybody, anybody in the house ever get compared to the dog of the family, right? That means you're really walking in unity in your home. You're becoming so much like everyone else. Wait a minute. Isn't that exactly what God did at the very foundations of time, in the garden when he created Adam and Eve? Because we know that God himself lives in community, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he is three in one. There is such strong community that many Christians today don't even know how to tell the difference between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, they understand that they exist. They understand that there's something different about them, but they don't know how to give language to a philosophy that they've been taught. Are you with me? I mean, it's really hard. Like, is that, am I talking to Jesus? Am I talking to Holy Spirit? Am I talking to the Father? What is that that looked like, look like, and it's beautiful because the reality is this whole three in one nature, it, it's indistinguishable at times and a bit ethereal and fuzzy because there's so much unity and community between the three. Sometimes it looks like one. And in the garden, when God created Adam, He then pulled from Adam's stomach his rib to create the woman so that the man, the, the woman, and God could also live in community. Now, his ultimate goal was that you and I would live in so much unity with him that people would not be able to tell the difference between man, woman, and God. That's right. When people will look at you, they should see Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. That there be so much community, communion, fellowship, unity, so much transference so that I'm hidden in Christ so that when people see me, they only see Christ. That was the ultimate goal. That's why the enemy wants to come in and make things like couches made of cinder block because he wants Christian community to be Uncomfortable. If he can make Christian community uncomfortable, sure. He, he, he may give you your time with Jesus, your quiet place in the, in the secret place, your prayer closet. You and Jesus may be like this. If he can't destroy that, the next greatest thing is you and other people because he understands God's ultimate goal is for there to be unity with all three. The heart of an individual with the heart of brothers and sisters and the heart of God. Community matters. Unity really does matter. In fact, scientists, social scientists will tell us not only do we grow emotionally, mentally, relationally in community, but we're happier in community. Everybody look at your neighbor and smile like you're happy today. See, look, some of you, that's hard to do. That just looks painful. Now, I'll be the first to admit my goal in life is not to be happy. Can I get an amen from somebody who already knows what I'm about to lay down and they've already picked it up? My goal is not to be happy. My goal is to be holy. There are a whole lot of other things above happiness that I want to be known for at the end of my life. I really don't care if my tombstone says the happiest guy on planet earth. It doesn't matter to me. There, I'll just give you a few examples, Miguel. I want, I want to be known as a good father. Right? More than happy. Hopefully, I'm a happy father. But at the end of the day, I want to be a better father than I am a level of happiness. I, I want to be known as committed, as faithful, a man of integrity, a man who keeps his word, a man who has a heart after God. Are, are you with? How many of you here would like to be known for something other than happy? Okay, great. That's great. That's great. But here's the catch: it's not an either or. It's a both and. Part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus is there is this totality in its nature, this wholeness that it brings to us where you don't have to pick Jesus and miserable and the world and happy. You get to actually be happy without it being your first goal. It's an overflow of the Lord's work in your heart and in your life. I mean, after all, it's kind of hard to invite someone into a relationship with someone they don't see And they understand from our example that when you get in that relationship with someone you can't see, you end up a very miserable person. Who wants that? Christians should actually be the most fulfilled, happy people on planet earth without sacrificing holiness, commitment, faithfulness, integrity, and all of the things that God has promised to add to our life if we seek him first. What is James talking about in James chapter 3? Can we walk back through that in the remaining minutes that I have? Is that all right? James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it, so don't brag, but don't deny it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Now this is, I won't stay here too long, but let me just give a word uh, to the supposed wise for a moment. Just because we think we have wisdom doesn't always mean that it's wisdom from heaven. So we even in wisdom or what we profess to be wisdom, we have to really test it to see where it comes from. Because the Bible says here, there are two types of wisdom. One from God, one not from God. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Where there is selfish ambition, you find disorder. How many of you would be courageous enough? Um, well, Let me start with an easier poll question. How many of you, if if we're talking about the verse of every evil work and disorder and chaos verses 17, where it says there's wisdom that comes from heaven that is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. How many of you here today would prefer the latter over the former? You would rather be in a community of people where there is purity, peace-loving, consideration, submissiveness, Uh, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. How many of you would rather be in that community versus the community that is filled with evil work? Anyone, most of us would admit that. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know we would prefer that, right? I I would assume 100% of our hearts believe that even if 100% of our hands didn't go up. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you're just thinking, well, that's a no-brainer. I'm not gonna waste the three calories to lift my hand on that one. Bring me the hard question. The harder question is this, how many of you would be courageous enough to admit that at some time in the past, maybe recent, maybe not so recent, that your family system, your family structure included the things that we really don't want? It included selfish ambition. It included greed. It included every evil practice. How many would admit that our family systems unfortunately included that? I'm lifting my hand as well because it's quite, I think, possible for us to be in a very healthy state now and maybe even forgotten just how unhealthy we were. But many systems, especially family systems, end up that way. But but how do they how do they end up that way? I, I want us to look into that. In fact, I've titled the sermon today, Navigating the Rough Seas of Community. Because you and I both we we married that person, and we loved them. Remember when you said yes to them? Yeah, and then 20 years later, 30 years later, you wondered, what was it exactly that I fell in love with? Anyone ever go through that? You just wonder, like, I did say yes to them. What was I thinking on that? I've, I have never thought that about my relationship, by the way. My wife is sitting over here. But many of you have, I'm sure, Community that has gone down into evil practice and dysfunction. At one time, it was healthy. You have to agree it was healthy because you wouldn't have gotten yourself into community. Nobody signs up to a dysfunctional community to say, hey, that looks really awful. Let me see what I can bring to the mix. Right? Nobody marries the guy to say, oh, he looks like he's never going to provide for me. Let me see how low we can go together. Right? You never, you never have kids thinking, "Oh man, that kid's gonna be, you know, crazy someday." You, in fact, you come home from the hospital and you think little Johnny's gonna change the world. You just think that is the the greatest gift. On, and some of you have little babies. I get it. They're the most awesome, wonderful thing you've ever laid your eyes on. This will not apply to you. But some of us in the room, we came home from the hospital thinking, oh, this kid is just amazing. And then when they're age 19, we're just worried that we're going to go to jail for their behavior. (laughs) Things shift. It changes. If there's not active energy to push it closer to what God's design is for all of the community structures in our life, it will be a slow fade. I love how Peter James here is talking about peacemakers. In verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. In other words, the gift of wisdom builds a community. Now, in chapter 4, I want to jump to James is looking at a church here that all of a sudden has this conflict. It started out healthy, right? Just like our marriages, just like our parenthood, just like the career that we're now dying to get out of. We once wanted the job, now we can't wait to have the next job. It once started healthy, but now James is looking at the church that is very unhealthy. And he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In talking with community, there are four rough seas that the enemy wants to shake you up with. And I hope to, today and next week, address those four rough seas. The first one is the sea of confusion. The confusion The enemy would love for you to get confused on the status of your marriage, confused for, or love for you to get confused on the status of your parenting or your career or your future or your past. Did God really forgive me for that? Am I really going to heaven confused on the status of, is there a God? Hey, God, are you really there? The enemy loves to create confusion. Before we find ourselves, you know, 23, 25, 8 years down the road, realizing this isn't how I thought it was going to be, it all starts with a seed of confusion. A small seed of confusion. We go from clarity to confusion, alignment to misalignment, from gratitude to entitlement, from unity to disunity. I love how James says here, What causes fights and quarrels among you? In other words, why are we fighting? Not what are you fighting about, but why are we fighting? There's something bigger than the what here, the the why. Like, I get the what. You have your side, she has her side. I I get that. I don't need the details of that. The question he's asking, the dysfunction, is why? Why did we allow the seed of dysfunction to begin with? We're arguing now over the fruit of a tree that we think we didn't plant, but we did allow the seed of dysfunction. Why are you fighting? Why is there so much distance and tension in your marriage? Not, not what he did and what she did. Why? why aren't you having honest, real vulnerable conversations with your teenager? Why, why have, has your teenager's friends won their heart instead of you? It's not the what. We're beyond the what. In fact, I don't know if the what is ever important enough. It's not the what fruit is on the tree. It's digging down to the roots of the why. We have to understand that confusion always starts with a seed. In verse 3, it talks about wrong motives being a seed. Or verse 2 talks about a desire being a seed. We have to guard the seeds. If you want a healthy marriage long-term, you have to be guarding the seeds that you allow planted in the field right now. No one just wakes up one day and says, I think I'm going to have an affair. If they do, that's a whole other issue. But no one just wakes up one day and says, I think I'm going to leave my wife and my three kids. There was a seed somewhere along the way. No one wakes up one day and says, I think I'm just going gonna, gonna to betray my friend. I'm going to betray my boss. I'm going to betray my coworker. I'm going to betray my teacher. No one does that. There are seeds that we have failed to guard, seeds that we've allowed to be planted in the context of community that when fully grown became a tree of fruit that we did not want to eat. So guard the seeds that you allow planted into your heart. But other than that, guard the seeds that you sow. For example, I'll give you an example, a personal example. Just imagine for a moment that I'm upset with one of my kids, right? That's a harmless example because that never happens. (laughs) You with me? You're upset with one of your kids, and you go to one of your buddies. I go um, to Morel, and we're sitting down on the back patio, and he's talking about his hunting trip, and we're watching the sunset, and we're just, you know, two good friends chatting, and he's talking about his work and his coworkers and how they're just not listening, and the people at the job don't know what a good person he is, and he needs double the raise, right? You need double the raise, Morel, yeah? And we're just talking, thinking it's, it's harmless, and I start telling him, oh, you're not going to believe what my kids did. And I'm not suggesting that you don't have someone that you're vulnerable with and that you share your heart with. What I'm saying is that when I share with Morel negative things about other people in my life, I'm planting seeds in his heart. He then begins to view my kids in a certain way, And I may go back home, which happens often, and it's happened to you too. You're upset with someone, and then you go back to them, and you have a heart-to-heart. You know, you're sitting knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, and you're talking, and you're saying, when you did this, it made me feel like this. And they say, oh, well, I I did that because this is happening in my world, and I'm sorry I should have talked to you. And all of a sudden, you have so much compassion for that person because their world makes sense to you again. Has that ever happened to you? Like what used to be just vile and disgusting to you, all of a sudden, because there's understanding, you say, oh, I'm so sorry you were going through that. I wish you had told me sooner. And now you just love this person again. You adore this person again. But what happened is Morel over there has some seeds that keep getting watered by little things that he sees my kids doing in the hall at church. He sees other kids vacuuming and my kids just passing the vacuum and he said, yep, that's right, they're entitled. But they're not really entitled. They've been working since 6.30 a.m. and they're now going out to the parking lot to finish a different job. But I planted seeds that gives him a perspective that's not really reality. And all of a sudden I go to morel if, you know, if I actually am good at closing the loop, because I guarantee probably 99% of us never go back to all the seeds that we planted and other people about other people. But let's assume for a moment that I do go back to morel. And I say, oh, morel, I was totally wrong, man. I feel so bad I shared that with you. This is what really happened. And I try to articulate and give language to the encounter I had with my child when I was knee-to-knee and eye-to-eye. And there is no set of words that I can communicate that will give rise to the heart moment that I had between my child and me. So I can't pull up the seed that was planted. Confusion. Confusion. One of the number one weapons of the enemy will give rise if we allow seeds to be planted in our heart. Point number two. The conquest. The next rough sea of community is the conquest. Did you know that it is normal for you to have something inside of you that wants to fight? It is. You were born a fighter, whether you know it or not. Some of you are like, no, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You're a fighter. In fact, you probably love to fight more than the people who say they're fighters. There's something inside of us that God created this, I don't know, preachers may call it a spirit of dominion, a spirit to rule and to reign. Because you are co-heirs with Christ when When you were fashioned and formed, God intended you to be in relationship with Him. So he created inside of you this need to conquer. The problem is, if the enemy can get us one degree off, the ultimate destination is not the island that God intended us to land. So our need to fight, this thing to conquer something, we often misplace who our enemy is. Look to your left and right for a moment, and I just want to tell you that's not your enemy. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemy you think you're fighting is probably not your enemy. In fact, the reason she's mad is not really the reason she's mad. She, she's mad because you won't take out the trash. And she tells you that a thousand times, right? You just don't take out the trash. You just won't take out the trash. And she, you think that's why she's mad, but that's not really why she's mad. Because you've started taking out the trash, and she's still mad. She's mad because she feels like you're not creating a safe space. Rather than looking at the fruit that we're eating, the fruit that results in us feeling like we're in battle with one another, we have to discover the roots. I remember when Carrie and I were going to Australia, and our team can come up. When Carrie and I were going to Australia, there was some frustration along the way and some tension. This was maybe five years ago. And we were annoyed with the airline, annoyed with the delays, annoyed with the luggage and all of that. And just a lot of tension along the way and we had to come to realize we weren't really mad about all of those things. We were, we were disgruntled because we're leaving our baby halfway across the world. We have to stop evaluating the context of our situation based on fruit and discover the roots. I was thinking about the children of Israel, and we know that God provided the manna for them, but he didn't deliver the manna in their tent. The Bible says that they had to actually leave the tent and gather the manna. You see, God wants us to conquer something, so in every scenario, every situation, he will create a project of reach for us. Every blessing that he has for you includes a reach on your behalf. And so today I want to invite you. As we talk about community, what is, what is the reach that God has for you? Maybe the reach is actually just letting go of something, letting go of the past mistake, letting go of the past hurts, the wounds that you've encountered or experienced. Maybe the reach for you is actually a new level of commitment, a new level of faithfulness to actually being in community rather than having a 1,001 excuses to avoid community. Maybe the reach for you is not just showing up, but actually speaking out and allowing your voice to be heard. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. People will stay in the same circles because it's easy, it's comfortable, it's familiar territory. But I want to challenge you this morning to find a conquest, find something that the Lord wants you to conquer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you for community. God, I thank you that even when the enemy might try to bring confusion our way into our circles, even, God, when we may feel like we have nothing worth fighting for, or maybe we're fighting the wrong thing, God, that you create such clarity into our world and into our life. God, we thank you, God, even in the valley or the mountaintop that you create, God, moments of of clarity that we understand what the wind looks like, God, that we understand what you have for us to conquer. God, I ask for those in the room this morning that might feel apathetic, those of you in the room this morning that have lost the will to fight, God, that you would just cause something to rise inside of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you just sing this song with us?